Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hi, welcome everyone. Thank you so much for coming. When this book came across my desk, I was so mad that I didn't get it two years ago when I was on maternity <laughs> leave, but I have been sharing it with every new mom and new mom-to-be because it is so spectacular and the parts that are pertaining to me are at least still half of this book. So I am so delighted to have this book. My name is Mags and I am the Rebel Mom. I help moms outsmart mom guilt and disrupt the shoulds of modern motherhood and so this book is right up my alley. And we're going to breeze through this and pull out some excerpts and ask some questions of these brilliant women so that we can try to get as much as we can out of this and then open up time for questions. So I am delighted to introduce our two co-authors of this wonderful book, Your Turn, Careers, Kids, and Comebacks, A Working Mother's Guide. We've got Jennifer Gevsky and Stacey Delo. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thank you. So the first thing that caught my attention as I was reading this book is the introduction is a little bit of each of your story. And both of your stories started out with the sentence, I never thought I'd quit my job. (laughs) And I just found that so remarkable. So before we get started, I just want to do a scan of the room so we can see where we all are in this room. Um, Who in here is currently a working mother? Raise your hand if you're currently... Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. And who has gone through the career comeback, whether taking a break or taking a part-time or charging through? Who's come back from taking a break? Okay. And let's see. I think that's probably where we can start, but I'd like to hear a little bit from each of you. After that, I never thought I'd quit my job. What brought you to where you are today? Oh, wow. Okay. So hi, everybody. I'm Jennifer Gefsky. It's nice to see all your faces here. I live in New York, so I'm so happy to be in San Francisco, fires and all. Um, I'm sorry. I know it's a sensitive topic. A lot of people don't have power. Um, so my my journey is not unlike a lot of women. I, I, I'm a lawyer. I'm a labor and employment attorney. I've been practicing law for about 20, almost 24 years, a long time. Um, and to be honest, when I was at the height of my career at that time, I worked for major league baseball. I was vice president, deputy general counsel. I had a great job that I loved. And that if you told me pre-kids, you're going to quit, I would have said, you're crazy. I'm never quitting. I loved my job. I identified with my career. I identified myself with my career. And then I had one child. Then I had child number two. And I couldn't do it. I just, I lived in a suburb of New York at that point. My commute was an hour and a half each way. Um, And I and we talk a lot about the mistakes that I made. I don't regret my career break because I did. I just put up my hands and I said, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Um, and I don't regret ultimately that decision for taking a career break, but I regret the way I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took a seven year career break. And like many women, when I was looking to come back into the workforce, I was literally sitting in my pajamas in my kitchen thinking, I have no idea what to do. I mean, I was recruited out of law school to a big New York City firm. And then I was recruited from that firm to baseball. I had never looked for a job as a lawyer, really. I had no idea what to do. Um, and uh, uh, I started a company, I co-founded a company with a woman um, named Nicole Kroll in New York called um, Apre. And um, I met Stacy through that company. She'll tell you uh, sort of how we connected. Uh, and then um, I, after several years of running that, I 
um, am now a partner at a law firm in New York, and I help companies um, with their culture, and I help them with anti-harassment and discrimination. So really full circle. But um, I very much the women and, and I love to see the different ages of women who have had a career comeback because we did an event l- uh, last week in Bloomingdale's in New York City and there were women in the group who were, you know, you know, into their retirement and this resonated with them. Mm-hmm. They had taken career breaks and it still was a very visceral reaction when we talked about it. So, um, you know, it's a tough journey whichever road you take, it's nothing's perfect, nothing's easy. So um, it's one of the things we talk about in the book is is outlining the different roads women can take um, and how to be successful once you decide which road you want to take. Yeah. Thank you. Long answer to your question. No, that was great. That was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Stacey? So I started that line with, I thought I would never quit as well because I loved my work also. Um, I was a reporter for the online properties of the Wall Street Journal. And when I was, um, what I thought, just loving my job as this online video reporter, I got a call saying, come to New York. We're going to start these live shows and we'd love to have you audition to be the host. And so I went in the summer of 2009 and I auditioned and I didn't get the job. (laughs) And so I came back and I thought, well, I'll just continue to be a reporter. We bought a house. I'd just gotten married. We bought a house. I got pregnant. And then they called and said, oh, we're going to start another show. This has been very successful. It's going to be a technology show, and we'd love for you to host that one. It's in New York. And, you know, we had just sort of doubled down on San Francisco at that point. And I thought, this is what I've been working for my whole life. So I have to go. And then I completely forgot that I was pregnant (laughs) Um, and had never told anyone at my company at this point, because it was still fairly early. So I called them back and said, um, by the way, I'm pregnant. I'd still like to come and do this. Um, I moved to New York. I had placenta previa. I wasn't able to fly back and forth. So I stayed there for about a full quarter of winter. Mm. The The doctor said, if you want, you can train back and forth between <laughs> and New York, but you cannot fly. And so we started this show and I just loved it so much. Every fiber of my being was just fully thriving, even though my belly was very much expanding. I had a team of doctors there and eventually they said, if you don't plan to have the baby here, you have to go home. And so I told everybody, I'll be back in six weeks. I'm going to go home. I'm going to have this kid (laughs) and I'm going to be back in six weeks. We'll figure it out. Maybe I'll host the show a little bit from there, but I'm not going to give this up. And then, of course, the baby came and my body was like, you're probably not going to go back in six weeks. Um, (laughs) And then six weeks became five months and along the way, um, one of my reporter friends who had also been pregnant at the same time said to me, did, did you read the maternity leave paperwork? And I said, not really. Um, a little bit here and there. And she's like, well, there's a section that says that if you want to come back part time, you can. You just have to ask. And I was like, well, what section is that in? And she said, well, it's in the section if you don't plan to return. So I'd never read that mm. paragraph. And so I did ask and I did go part time. And it was incredible. It allowed my husband, who's here in the back of the audience, um, to really thrive in his career. It allowed me to own both phases of a life that I had really wanted. I'd also wanted to really be a mother. Mm -hmm. And so the part-time piece 
worked so well. And along the way, then I started getting questions about, well, how did you make this work for yourself? How did, how did you make the ask, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized at the time there just weren't any resources for women, particularly online, to find out what companies might be offering this mm-hmm. policy. Like this was a policy the company offered, okay. which was really critical to retention, yeah. right? They retained yep. me because they had a part-time policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to leave and start my own business. And that was called Mavrux. Um, it was, it helped women find flexible job opportunities. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I met Jen through a mutual colleague who introduced us and said, y'all should meet. And we, over lunch, decided that we could do more together faster if we came together. And that's how we are here. Love it. Thank you. Um, Can you talk a little bit about Opray? Sure. So Opray is a company that helps women return to the workforce or pivot to something better. Mm. Um, We offer a lot of educational resources for women who are in this phase. It's also open to men. Um, Site's completely open to anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, We tend to find that the pain point is mothers and women. Um, And so we focus a lot on that in terms of our membership. And on the flip side, we work with companies who are opening their doors because of diversity and inclusion and are looking to this talent pool as one that they haven't really tapped into very well. Um, so we help them find them. Yeah. I found that the biggest untapped resource is mothers looking to make a comeback. So because of this guide, this is not just a a narrative or a tale. This is a step-by-step how-to guide of hundreds of little nuggets that you've had from your experience, from your working with hundreds of women of little loopholes, like ask about part-time leave. What section was that in? All of that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. all of that is in this book. It is phenomenal. And also for companies, tips in each chapter on how companies can do better. Yeah. Talk about that too. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So I love that you break it down into basically three things. So you have a case for staying, a case for taking a break, and then a case for the other, which is freelance, part-time, volunteering, that kind of stuff. So let's start with the case for staying. And this excerpt really, really hit me. So this myth that just because a woman has kids means she's disengaged or not committed is just plain wrong. Raising toddlers and teenagers prepares you to deal with coworkers' emotional roller coasters and your boss's psychological tactics. Yeah, can I get an amen? <laughs> Nothing seems all that stressful after you've, ex- after you've experienced rushing your kids to the emergency room or having a baby in the first place. It puts work into perspective. It puts life into perspective. That said, despite how hard they work or systems they put in place, the workplace is behind in evolving to appreciate those efforts. There shouldn't be a bullseye on her back. The reality that unconscious bias training in the workplace around motherhood is very limited. Women are promoted at slower rates than men, paid less, and they're also paid less than women without children. A Harvard-reviewed study of hiring practices found that mothers were being offered 11000 less in starting salary on average. That same report noted that mothers were significantly less likely to be recommended for a job and were assumed to be inherently less competent and less committed. It's total BS. Yeah, it makes me angry just hearing our, our words. <laughs> I know. Yes. I know. Agreed. Agreed. I so- mean, I, I recently, I was preparing for something else, and I and I recently reread that Harvard Business Study. Yeah. And it's almost, you can't believe it. I mean, it is the motherhood penalty. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. The motherhood penalty is real. Mm-hmm. It exists. But it's shocking when you look at the numbers on the paper, because we're not just talking about men versus women. Mm-hmm. We're talking about mothers versus non-mothers, mm-hmm. okay? The moment a woman becomes a mother, 
the moment she becomes a mother, she's viewed as less committed, less capable, less capable, which is shocking, Mm -hmm. um, less likely to be hired, less likely to be promoted, all those things you just said. I mean, those are facts. Um, It's a 10 cent difference. It's 81 cents on the dollar to men and 71 cents on the dollar for mothers to men. And the more stories, Mags and I were talking about this, Stacey, I don't think you were here before the panel started, the more stories we can get out there of successful mothers who are working, um, the more we can eradicate the motherhood penalty. I believe the motherhood penalty will eventually start going away because of technology, because of the ability to work flexibly, Mm -hmm. because that's really what kind of really creates that motherhood penalty, right? When moms have to, oh, I've got to leave because I got to go pick up my kid from daycare. I got to go take my kid to the doctor's. Millennials and Gen Zs, that they're all wanting that flexible mm-hmm. work workplace, and so we're seeing more and more of it, and employers offering more and more of it. And once we have more of a co-ed um, type of flexibility desire, I think we'll see the motherhood penalty start to go away. I hope, probably not in my lifetime, but hopefully in my daughter's. So, so the motherhood penalty is real. And um, let's talk about the three cases: the case for staying. I, we won't talk yeah. about all three, but but what we felt very strongly about is that everyone's different. Okay, and we talked to so many women um, as part of writing this book and as part of May Brooks and Apre um, and, and the work we've done there. And people are different. I'm a worker. I love working, but I've met a lot of people, and some of my best friends are 100% content being home with their children full time. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. We're all different and we all have different desires and needs and wants. So what we wanted to do in this book is showcase if that's you, if you're the worker and you enjoy working, you have to work. By the way, many women in this country have to work. The majority of the women in this country have to work. Um, Let's not be guilt ridden about it because your kids are going to be A-OK. Research shows working mothers' kids actually fare better in their own careers than non-working mothers' kids. Um, So – but if you're making that decision, what is the case for staying Mm -hmm. um, and why should you stay? Um, I think there's a lot of great reasons to stay. It is hard to make a comeback after you've had a career break. So, um, you know, and and I look as someone who, like I said, was at the height of my career when I left – almost on a weekly basis, I have that thought, what if I had only stayed? Where would I be now? Mm. Um, as I see those guys who are sitting in the cube, the cubbies outside of my office are now in the corner office right. at Major League Baseball. Yeah. I'm like, uh. um, but, uh, you know, I mean, we make the choices we make and I wouldn't regret it. And I wouldn't have had my third child if I hadn't had a career break. So every time I look at him, I think he's He's worth it. So. He's worth the corner office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the positive things about staying is, um, you know, there's opportunity costs, right, of, mm-hmm. of every choice. Um, if you do choose to step out, there is a financial reality to that. Yeah. Um, but also, if you do stay in, it's a great opportunity to mentor other people around you. Um, one of the questions we've gotten on a lot of these panels is, how can I be helpful and make small changes in my own company? And we see women every day. This is actually different than it was mm. maybe 20, 30 years ago, where there were so few women that it was the, comp- the competitive aspect of it was such that you didn't want to necessarily help other women mm-hmm. <laughs> along the way. But I think that it's it's expanded a bit now where people are a little more willing to go ahead and help each other. And yeah. so we see a lot of that with the women who are currently working. And that's so important because it won't change unless even individuals making a difference mm-hmm. makes a difference. Yeah. What would be your advice to a woman in a company who sees that this motherhood penalty is taking place within her company? How can you make changes from the inside? It's it's a great question. Yeah. I mean, one is 
you just sort of walk the walk. So talk the talk and walk the walk. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and do that in my own law firm, which I chose my firm where I went to work because they support women. Yeah. And one of the big pieces of uh, advice we give to women is, you know, vote with your feet. So look where you're going and make sure they support women because the, if the best women talent go to those companies, the other companies are going to tar- start changing their tune. And vote with um, your feet means leave. If Yes. Go find a better company yeah. if, if the one that you are working with is not helpful and isn't willing to change. Yeah. And and I will so one is mentor, mentor um junior women in and be supportive of women senior women who are junior. Um but I I find cuz I work with a lot of companies, I don't find this nefarious and you know, I we don't want to support women secretly. I don't find that. What I find is ignorance. They yeah. don't understand. They don't know the obligations and the pain points of women. Why? Because we like to secretly like uh, you know, struggle and not share our struggles. Um and so educating men about why is paternity leave important? Why is that important for men? But why does it also help to retain women in the workforce? So I think educating companies and leadership, um, but not just leadership, because I see this quite a bit too, where it's like the head people are all about diversity. We want diversity. Yes, we want diversity. And where it starts to fall apart is when you get into the Mm mid-management, right? Mm -hmm. So hiring women to return to the workforce, leaders, yay, HR people were on it. It's yeah. the middle managers that are like, eh, I don't know. Are these people going to be successful? And then ultimately they don't hire them, you know, in many cases. So we have to educate top to bottom companies on the pain points. And it's not easy to do. You know, it's, it's, this is not something that changes overnight. It's, it's a process. Women's initiative groups working, we're seeing more and more working parents groups where it's men and women together coming together, talking about the issues and maybe proposing, as Stacy said, each one of our chapters talks about ways companies can shine. And it's not just for companies. It's for individuals to read that and say, huh, my company doesn't offer that. Let me take that back and let me explain to them why this is good for our company to do that, mm-hmm. you know. Because the companies aren't the ones that are reading this and coming up with the ideas. They need to sometimes be told often. Correct. Yeah. Right. And I think I think the working parents trend is very interesting. Um, I was talking with a company, though, recently where they have like a Slack channel for working parents and then a Slack channel for working moms. Mm-hmm. And the the women feel so much more comfortable sharing and talking in just the women's, the, the working moms group or the moms group, however you want to call it, um, and less comfortable in the working parents. And so they've been trying to figure out. Mm. And I was like, well, is the CEO on the working parents? Because in this case, the CEO is a man. Is the, is the CEO in the working parents Slack channel? And they're like, probably. And so <laughs> I think that it you know, the, the big issue is you want to go somewhere where the conversation to talk about these things is really open and that you don't feel like you will be penalized for taking advantage of certain policies. We talk to a lot of women who have access to flexible work policies and don't take them because they feel like they'll be stigmatized um, or penalized. And um, we talk to, you know, we know that paternity leave is another piece that we hear a lot about lately and and yet men don't take it um and so you want to go somewhere where you can ask the questions and know that the leadership is is modeling that they take advantage of the policies that they do work a flexible life and that they do take advantage of paid leave when it's available to you yeah how would someone who is expecting a child know if their company is going to really support them when they come back so 
obviously a lot of that is online now. You can you can do a lot of your research in advance online, even through just review sites. Mm-hmm. People are pretty honest mm-hmm. in those review sites. Um, but you can also just tell when you're in the office, right? Is your manager you know, is he calling he or she, I shouldn't say he, but, um, are they calling you at 8 PM with a deliverable the -hmm. next morning? Like you can know, and you can start to clue in. There's a lot of, um, great articles that have been written by women in senior levels who, who basically started to clue in earlier than having children on what the culture was actually Mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when you really get to make a decision for yourself. Do I want to stay here or do I want to bring this up, um, in advance of me going on my own leave? Mm -hmm. And there is a realistic approach to it too, right? I mean, it's not not every position can offer flexibility. It depends what you do. It depends yeah. the workplace. It depends this, the demand of the schedule. I mean, one of the issues with Stacey's job at the Wall Street Journal is when news broke, news broke, you know, yeah. and that's what makes that sort of work difficult for especially young moms. But, you know, one of the things we suggest to women is if when you are going to make that ask mm-hmm. um, for whatever works for your schedule is that you come armed with data and information mm-hmm. about why it works for the company, mm-hmm. not just why it's good for the woman, because we all know why it's good for yeah. the woman. And com- frankly, companies don't really care other yeah. than the fact of retention, yeah. right? Maybe she's a great employee and they don't want to lose her, but it's got to work for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and what companies are finding is exactly what Stacy said earlier, which is is it helps with retention rates. It helps with loyalty. I mean, obviously, the millennial generation, Gen Z, they're moving jobs all the time. So retaining employees is key for so many companies. And if they feel they can retain by offering flexibility, um, that, that by the way, in New York City and probably here too, companies are beginning to clue in on remote work's pretty good because yeah. real estate in New York is expensive. Yeah. So, hey, you want to work from home? Great. Um, so, you know, it's got to make sense for the company. And so, you know, as a woman, arm yourself with that information. Why are other companies doing it? What are the benefits of, of implementing a policy like that? And why is it going to be good for the company in your particular case? And then we also say, you know what, if you're the trailblazer, Talk about doing it for a limited period of time. Let's mm-hmm. see six months. Let's see how it goes. Mm-hmm. The big fear we see with companies, if I do it for you, I'm going to have to do yes. it for everybody else. Right. Yeah. And that's what we see. And so let's take it on a on a limited basis and let's see how we do. Yeah. And be flexible in what you think is what you want. So for mm-hmm. example, um, we always say if you want flexibility and you have to ask for it, then be flexible in mm. return. So um, we we talked to a woman a couple weeks ago who had gone in and asked for flexibility to pick her child up at the end of the day at yeah. like four o'clock. And the it was actually a nonprofit and the nonprofit said, we can't give you flexibility in the afternoon because so many of our events are at that time, but we can give you flexibility in the morning. Yeah. So she just shifted in her mind when the flexibility would happen. And so she has breakfast with her mm-hmm. child and drops the child off at daycare. Yep. Um, and so that's a great example of being flexible when you ask for flexibility. Absolutely. And something that's also in here is if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Right. right. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. And by the way, that's one of the mistakes I made. I didn't advocate for myself at yeah. all. I didn't seek out mentors. You know, again, mm-hmm. so much of what we see is people waiting for this to be handed to them on a silver platter. And it's like, I look back, I didn't talk to women who were going through it. Um, I didn't hear about their experiences. Yeah. I didn't have an understanding 
understanding that it's a very short period of time over the arc of a career that it's really hard. You know, yeah. that you're really in that messy middle when your kids are babies and toddlers. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it all seems so big to me at yeah. that time. And at the end of the day, you know, your kids start school. I mean, now I had two of my kids are in high school. I don't even see them. You yeah. know what I mean? They're gone. <laughs> so, um, it, it changes so rapidly. Um, so I didn't seek out mentors. I didn't advocate for myself for really alternative work environment, you know, an all, a flexible schedule or mm-hmm. anything like that. And I was just like, I'm out, you know, mm-hmm. I'm done. So that's like, that's an example, a couple of examples of mistakes that I made in uh, my own decision. Yeah. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at CommonwealthClub.org. Now back to our program. Well, let's talk about taking a break then. Okay. Um, So here's a little excerpt about the case for taking a break. We know this to be true. Taking a career break does not lessen your ability and talent to contribute to the workforce in the future and should never be viewed as a character flaw when applying for a job. (laughs) The concept of coming and going from the workplace should be normalized and expected rather than the unusual and unexpected. Moreover, the thousands of women we speak to about career breaks and coming back from one are ambitious. They're at every socioeconomic level and have made a decision to focus on family. They admit they've felt the financial ramifications of the decision and they're frustrated that their male counterparts haven't been faced with the same career setbacks. They also clearly see the mountain many climb to get back in. Mm. So with the break, I know a lot of moms, as I have a two-year-old, and a lot of moms are taking a break right now and they feel bad about it. Yeah. They feel like there's no hope. They feel like they'll never make their way back in. So and, yeah. And yeah. by the way, we talked to women who are Ivy League educated, yeah. you know, oh, undergraduate, yeah. graduate degrees. We just did an event recently in New York. And I don't even remember it was like a woman's co-working space. Yeah. And this woman was seven years out. That was the length of my break as well. Ivy League educated financial industry. She's like, I, I basically can add no value to the workplace. Mm. And we're like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I mean, we know stories of women who have taken 18 year career mm-hmm. breaks and come back successfully. Well, Sherry, where's Sherry? There she is. How long was your break? 10 years? 10 years. 10 years. So like, you know, there's so many success stories. Sorry to put you on the spot, Sherry. (laughs) There's so many success stories of women who have taken long breaks that come back and crush it. Um, And you mentioned the word ambition. And we recently asked, you know, do, do women's, do their ambitions change? And the answer is, well, it depends how you define success because to me, ambition is striving for success. Yeah. And my definition of success has changed, mm-hmm. right? So when I was a young lawyer and I'm climbing that ladder, my definition of success was career success. Yeah. Well, after I became a mom, my, my definition of success changed. And I was very ambitious in trying to meet that success. Mm-hmm. And then now that my kids are older, my definition of success is shifting again. So it has, to me, ambition doesn't change. I'm a very ambitious person. I always have been. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't change my ambition, but it, de- it depends on what that ultimate goal is at a particular time. Um, so career breaks, um, there's no question. I mean, I, I have a very good friend, Again, Ivy League educated in the financial world. She took a 14-year career break, three kids. Wow. She went through what we call a returnship program that a lot of companies – not a lot, but um, some companies oh. are offering now, okay. which basically, if you don't, haven't heard of them, they're really geared towards women who have taken career breaks. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's this whole sort of 
reigniting, you know, sort of the tools and the skills and, you know, getting them back into the workplace. And, you know, JP Goldman Sachs started it. <clears throat> and now a lot of the big financial institutions have it. She went through that at Morgan Stanley, um, did really well. And now she's killing it in another financial institution. And no one knows she took a 14-year career break now. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like she never took a break. So it's really interesting from that perspective. I feel the same way. I mean, I was out seven years. I thought – I remember saying to my husband, nobody will ever hire me. Like, I don't know who's going to hire me. And he was like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? And now I'm back and it's like – I mean, I never took a break, literally. And I'm by the way, as what we said in the book is true, being a mom has made me a far better employee yeah. than pre-kids. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that you're talking about taking a break as a good thing in this lean in culture. It's almost frowned upon and people just climb themselves down into this hole thinking they'll never take a break and then or they'll never return. And then they spend their whole time just worried about that. So I love that you address it and that you say that it's, it's not a fault of yours and that you talk about the confident return. And I know you had something else to mention. Well, I just, I mean, it, that's one of the key pieces of the book is that, you know, we really want people to own the decisions that they've made and then to not feel stressed by them. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, as a society, we do such a disservice to people by stressing them um, on the decisions that they've yeah. made. And one of the big things that we talk about and advocate for is that we need to move past sort of this disrespect for the caregiving years that we see particularly in corporate America. And one of the things is to really help women own the break that they've taken and then to normalize the ebb and flow of coming and going for both men and women yeah. from the workplace. Yeah. And so that it's not looked at not looked upon as this, you've been out, your skill set is diminished as a result of it, but more as you were doing something different, you've gained a different skill set. Yeah. And so that's how we can really get into yeah. owning the confidence piece yeah. of, of, of returning when yeah. you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I have this expert excerpt here of the confident return, which is brilliant. So companies will only view you as a mother without work experience if that is how you view yourself. It is time to peel back the layers and recognize yourself for all of your talents, not just the talents that make you a great parent. When you approach the job search with positivity, your network will take notice. Projecting the image of someone who has a renewed excitement about returning to the workforce makes, some, makes you someone people want to hire. The world is changing and organizations are changing the stigma around taking a career break. There are employers out there who are willing to give you a shot if you're willing to take it. Embody these best habits of returners and get into the right mindset. Career gaps have become far more common in recent years. It's all how you talk about it, says Molly Saint, a recruiting marketer, told us. It's really no different than preparing to talk about a previous job. Treating it the same way normalizes it, which I think is important. So I'd love it if you could talk a little bit more about how you help women silence that inner critic when they go huh. out into the job search. Well, yeah, that's confidence. And women who have taken career breaks... Mm -hmm. Um, research shows the confidence starts to drop significantly after just one year out of the workplace. So, um, and I know because I experienced it myself, as I just said earlier. Um, and so one of the things is you have to start getting that confidence back. How do you start getting that confidence back? You start igniting those skills that you used before that, that you were passionate about in the workplace. And by the way, one of the things we see with women who have taken career breaks is that 
They want to do something different. And this is mm. a very common thing. You know, I've been in finance my whole life. I've been in law. I've been in accounting. Name it. Um, I don't want to do it anymore. Mm. Or we, you know, in television. I was in television in my previous life. That's a crazy world. I don't want to go back to it. I want to do something different. So we're seeing a lot of pivoting. Um, one of our operate coaches, who I don't think is here today, but she specializes in pivoting and, and mm. you know, figuring out now what you want to do next. Um, so... Um, that's one of the things that helps ignite that confidence, right? Figuring out what you want to do, start taking classes, start, you know, really connecting with your network um, to get back into the game and then really figuring out your elevator pitch, which is so important yeah. and um, and how you're going to talk about your gap. Because yeah. the gap is the biggest problem for confidence. And, and I've got this huge, you know, eight year gap on my resume. Mm-hmm. What in the world am I going to talk about? Mm-hmm. And it almost paralyzes women. They yeah. don't know how to get over that. Yeah. And, the, and the answer is you get over it. You know, you just, yep. you go in and you uh, apply for the job and you talk about it. You don't dwell on it. You hit it and you move on. And, and it's true. Employers want just good, solid employees. And if you can tell them why you're a great fit for the job, what you've done to prepare for the job, um, and why you think you'd be in a tremendous asset for that company, mm-hmm. there's a good chance they're going to hire you. Yeah. you know? So, um, And again, we have more and more examples of women who have successfully come back. And the more examples we have, the easier it will be to return from a break. Absolutely. We mentioned a woman in the book who was doing um, comparative pricing analysis for her neighbor who mm-hmm. was running like a VRBO. Um, and would never have thought about putting that on her resume because she wasn't getting paid for it. And yet it's actually um, a great analytical yeah. uh, skill set. And, and just because she wasn't getting paid for it, it can absolutely go on a resume. Yeah. Some of the strategies that we offer for confidence, a couple that I really like, one is um, naming your inner critic. Mm-hmm. One of the coaches that we work with calls her 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 inner critic. She pictures it as like a little person that sits on her shoulder. <laughs> she is yeah. her... Um, it's like it's like an old figure from um, old Italy because she's Italian, <laughs> and she calls it mean old noni. And so anytime she hears a, a little voice that's telling her like I'm going to go out and do this, and the little voice says, "No, you're not. You're not. You're not ready for this. Your, your skills aren't up to date." She just sort of bats back, mean old noni. Oh, there's mean old noni again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's value in that. I mean, it can sound a little crazy, but um, there's value in having that and being able to name it and catch it and say, I'm not going to do that to myself today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just plow through here. And then the other thing I think is really valuable is to call people that you knew in your life when you felt like you were really thriving. Mm-hmm. That could be calling your mother or that could be calling a colleague, a previous colleague, somebody that you went to college with, somebody that helps you sort of reconnect with who you are inside mm-hmm. and helps you remember what those skill sets are for mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. And then write them down because then you can formulate a sentence yeah. that you can use for other people. And then when you're ready, just start talking about it. Mm-hmm. Regardless mm-hmm. of where you are, just tell people, I'm thinking of doing this next and the world will open for yeah, you. Totally. You just have to let, no one will know if you hold it all yep. aside mm-hmm. for yourself. Absolutely. You have to talk about it out yeah. loud. And the same thing with the, you mentioned the gap story and owning mm-hmm. your gap story. And that's something that, that we would recommend really like writing out and practicing it so that the more times you say it, the more confident you're going to sound in it. Well, yeah. and I, yeah. and I feel that way about the elevator pitch because yeah. You know, what, what tends to happen with women who have taken career breaks, they're not used to that sort of corporate lingo, you know, kind of talk or yeah. 
really talking in that kind of manner about their career. And so, you know, look, you don't want to sit there and talk to a future employer and talk about your kids the whole time, right? So what do you want? And as Stacey always gives this advice, which I think is great, is don't ignite your your networks fully until you know what that ask is going to be mm. because you only ignite your network once. You know, you can't keep going back and back. So know what you're going to ask, but you got to know that elevator pitch. And it's that it truly is that 30 second, one minute, you know, who I am, what I want to do and why I want to do it. And if you can sell that with confidence and it's not easy, if anyone's done an elevator pitch, when Mm -hmm. you really try and write it out and like, think about it, it's hard. And so to really, to write it out, to practice it in the mirror is very important, especially for women who have taken um, career breaks, I think. And it's super common. Something that we talk about a lot these days is imposter syndrome. And so I think that would be even more common with someone who's returning from a career break. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. Point. yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of my favorite topics is equality in the home. Oh. So can you talk about maintaining that balance after a break? Yeah. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great question. I think the the data is so interesting on um, the hours that women and men spend on childcare and, and household work. Mm-hmm. So um, women spend, and tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm getting the numbers wrong here, but it's it's like 14 hours a week on childcare and men spend eight. Um, and it's like 18 hours a week on household. And I want to say men is like eight. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting about those numbers is that for men, it's tripled from the 1960s. Okay. So we're definitely on a trajectory toward better. Mm -hmm. But for women, it's also increased despite the fact that we have more women in the workforce and they're the average number of hours that women work has gone from like nine per week to 25. And that's for paid hours of work Mm -hmm. in that same period of time. So (laughs) um, uh, the, the reality is that we need to do a better job of communicating with our partners and really all of our key stakeholders Mm -hmm. that can be people that you work for Mm -hmm. and then at home as well of what you need to, um, to be successful. Um, and I mean, I, I need to do better on that too sometimes. So mm-hmm. we all, we all can do better at it, I think. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's important to point out that I think the number is something, Stace will have to help me on this number, 40 something percent of working moms are single working moms, you know? And so, you know, it, that's important for employers to know Absolutely. that as well, you know, that it's, they're bearing, you know, my sister is a single mom and that, that's a heavy burden to bear. Um, so, but there's no question. I mean, there's a new book out just on this topic about sharing the burdens yeah. at home. And, and I think again, many ways it's, our own fault. You know, we don't communicate to our partners about sort of equality at home, or even if we do, and this is what I'm guilty, Mm -hmm. but even when we do that, Mm -hmm. we still take all that responsibility Mm -hmm. on ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, he's not going to really be able to handle that the way I would want to handle it. So I'm just going to do it. So we tend to be our own worst enemy Mm -hmm. that we have to be able to let go and let them watch them make the mistakes and all that stuff. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily easy, um, to do, but we've heard, you know, of stories uh, more and more women are coming to our book talks that don't have kids yet, which I think is incredible. Yes. Um, Because they know their life already feels overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, oh my gosh, add a kid to this equation. I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. Totally. Um, So we're seeing more and more millennials kind of Mm -hmm. 
open up to that to that thought of, wow, this is going to be hard and how am I going to plan for it? Um, And already having those talks with their partners about dividing the duties, which is great, but also hard to do before you have a kid, you know, and you really know what it's like to progressive companies. Some progressive companies have these concierge services Mm. that you can really take advantage of. Mm. Um, You know, one of the things that you need help with is really uh, managing the mental load, right? Yes. So what's, what are we going to have for dinner? Um, who's going to take so-and-so to the doctor? Mm-hmm. What is the carpool schedule look like this week? And so as much of it that you can outsource to others, some of that you cannot, but as much of it that you can, mm-hmm. then it will be helpful too. Yeah. yeah. And we do give a lot of hints in the book too about managing these things. Yes. Like one of the things we talk about is a Google Calendar. Like I have a Google Calendar. My family, my nine-year-old is on the Google. Like he literally has access to his own calendar. Right. And I'm making him responsible to know yes. what he's got, when he's got it. Not that he gets himself there, but like get ready for soccer because it's yeah. coming. So, um, you know, putting that responsibility, in my view, on kids is a good thing. Yeah. So don't try and do it all yourself. And um, and really, it's okay to sort of you know, um, parse out some of those responsibilities to out your networks and your outsiders. And obviously you have to give payback. So if you need carpooling help during the week, just know on the weekends you're, you know, putting in for that, yeah. for that drive, you know, that helping your friend out who maybe is a stay at home mom who's helping you during the week. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, I think it's time that we can open it up to our audience. So those of you who have burning questions or even lukewarm questions and <laughs> you're ready to ask them, go ahead and raise your hands. He's going to be brave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have a question if you have any recommendations uh, for somebody who's taken a break, mm-hmm. but you know, still did a lot of volunteer work, yeah. ran fundraisers for the kids' school, um, sponsored a TEDx, that kind of thing. How do you recommend maybe using that as, you know, do you put it on your resume? Is that part of your pitch? How would you incorporate that? Such a good question. It's such a good question because, I mean, for example, I know a woman in my town who hasn't worked for 15 years or something. She comes from the finance background. She raises more money for our schools and she is not afraid to make the ask to anybody to contribute, to donate. I mean, honestly, like any employer would be lucky to have this woman um, on their staff. So um, it's it's a gentle, it's a careful balance. Research shows that if you put PTA on your resume, it goes in the garbage. Like it's sad because PTA is work, you know, it's hard work and it's volunteer and you're making change that's positive for schools. But there's something about PTA and Stacey and I, I think just maybe disagree a little bit on this one, but that's what the research shows. Now, I mean, sponsoring a TEDx right there. I'm like, you had me at hello. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Um, That's like a cool topic. And so that absolutely goes on your resume. Um, But you just have to be careful with the way you phrase things, right? We don't want to talk about sort of, you know, the bake sales and you've got to think about what you did that's transferable to that particular employer and why those skills will be good for them. Raising money, um, you know, making the ass. So many women are afraid to make ass. And so whether you're in sales or something like that, that's all, that's very transferable to the workplace. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's just really thinking it through about what will be valuable to an employer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like event management, right? I mean, if you can cast it all under that TEDx sponsorship and then if it's PTA and fundraising, but it's event management, you can, you can use language that resonates with an employer. Um, and then it, it really does depend. You can use that whole area kind of at the bottom of the uh, resume. You can 
you can make a long list there, right? It doesn't have to not go on the resume. It just may not be as a, as a job experience up at the top kind of thing. And then you use the cover letter or the, the note in an email to explain where you've been. And, and one of the things that I, uh, we always try and suggest to women who have taken breaks is get on LinkedIn, make sure your profile looks amazing, professional, with a professional picture, and start – I don't know what industry you come from or where you're thinking about going, but start becoming an online expert for that industry because you can do that at home and not get paid for it, right? And how do you do it? You write an article about something interesting in your industry and you post it and you figure out tagging and how you tag a company or tag people and stuff can go viral. I mean, I wrote an article on LinkedIn that's now been seen by, I don't know, 18,000 people and it has to do with how women in their 20s um, uh, hide success because they're afraid if they show they're successful, men won't want to marry them. And so it was like a very – like I, I didn't love – this was a full-on research article by like I think Harvard, University of Chicago and um, Princeton. They collaborated on this article. So um, – LinkedIn is a powerful tool and it's one of those things that when people are in the workplace, they're allowed to be on LinkedIn. So they're not afraid of it. So they're on it in the workplace and people are active on it. So, you know, write those articles, become the expert and because your future employer is going to look you up and see you on LinkedIn and like, wow, look at, she's got articles. She knows what she's talking about. She's an expert on this particular area. Like a lot of people don't realize necessarily that they can do that, but you can. We couldn't do it 10 years ago, but we can do it today. And it's it's a great tool. Okay. Thank you both so much. You're brilliant. Thank you're gorgeous. You. You're wonderful. And you are helping millions. You're a great moderator, women. by the way. Yeah, great job. <laughs> thank you. Anybody who does this as a moderator. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to my crew who's all yeah. here. Thank you. And so up next, we have the brilliant book. Buy one copy, buy 10 copies. Give it to every woman, every man, every person that you know, because it is a step-by-step by guide. They literally have references. This is exactly how you answer this question. This is exactly how you go for the job search. It is brilliant. Buy some copies out there. And these two are doing some signing. So get your book signed by the real authors. This is amazing. <laughs> yes. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thanks, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's really great. You did a great job. It's really fun.